What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, and welcome to another episode of the Not Boring Tech Writer, where in each episode, we focus on a different skill that you can learn to enhance your skill set, improve your marketability, diversify your career, and ultimately break the stereotype that technical writing is a boring career. This episode's skill, understanding translation and localization. As products and services reach markets outside of their geographic origins, Organizations must consider how to translate and localize their existing documentation. It's a must, as these new users will need to refer to a knowledge base to better understand the product or service. But how exactly do organizations translate their documentation? Do they copy and paste all of their content into Google Translate? Do they hire technical writers who speak and write the language of the new market? As you learn in this episode, successful organizations partner with translation and localization vendors who ensure users in new markets understand the content. To help us dig deeper into this skill, we have Mike McDermott on the podcast, Director of Language Translations at Mad Translations, a translation vendor created by Madcap Software. For nearly eight years, Mike has helped clients translate their content into several different languages, and in this episode, shares insights he's learned along the way to ensure any organization has a seamless, successful translation process including how to research the right translation service, who to get involved in the research process, and how to create content optimized for translation. I'm very well. How are you, Jacob? Good. Uh, it's raining today, so it's a it's a bit out of the norm, but uh, we're surviving nonetheless. But yeah, everything's going good here. Hope the same for you. I think you're referring to the seals. Uh, the, yeah, the La Jolla seals are a bit of an attraction. <laughs> so they, I, however, I have seen whales out there as well. So you're not uh, you're not completely off there. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I hope so. We'll see where it goes, but I'm uh, happy to uh, help educate the listeners as best I can.
Sure. So I started with Madcap Software about eight years ago. Um, and it was pretty evident at that point, uh, pretty immediately, that um, our software users, and for those of you that don't know, uh, Madcap Software is the developers of Flare, which is a uh, single source authoring and publishing tool that many tech writers use for documentation and other uh, various means to support uh, software applications primarily. But um, so yeah, we uh, when I joined Madcap, it was pretty clear that uh, many of our users were looking for translators or translation companies that um, not only were experienced in Flare translation and knew how to, to uh, work with those types of files, um, but that were also just comfortable with technical content types. Yeah, um, you know, working with translators that you know, knew you know, how to research, how to stop and ask questions. And um, I've listened to one of the, the previous podcasts about research. Um, I forgot, I think that was Margaret. Ecker. Yeah, Margaret Ecker. Yes. Yeah. Sir. And, uh, you know, a lot of what I heard in that podcast about technical writers being researchers and curious and asking questions, um, a lot of the characteristics are very similar to translators. Mm. Um, what I have learned is translators, many of them are also tech writers. Um, they understand what goes into creating content and are good researchers. The best translators that I've come across are those that take the time to research the product that they're translating, very similar to that of a technical writer. So. Uh, getting back to your initial question, um, yeah, it was clear. It was clear from the beginning that our customers needed a place to go uh, for translation. Um, so we started Mad Translations shortly thereafterwards because just being in that space, we naturally had a lot of um, connections to translators, um, just people in that space uh, in general that uh, worked on technical products that we trusted with our customers already. So we formed Mad Translations basically to give our Flare customers a, go a place to go with confidence um, that they would get not only quality translations, but that they would get files back that would work that the way they, uh, in the way they expected them to. So I have been uh, leading our translation teams at Mad Translations um, ever since. So is Mad Translations a product that automatically is translating a particular language to another? Or is there actually people on staff that yeah. are actually translating this content for Madcap customers? Yeah, that's a good question. So we're a services provider. Um, gotcha. And we have actually human translators Perfect. that translate content. We do use software tools, um, some of which we develop ourselves. Uh, we have a companion tool to Flare called Madcap Lingo that works with Madcap Flare projects to basically filter content and get the files into a format that translators can work with. Um, but the service that we provide is predominantly a, a human-based service gotcha. um, that complements uh, Madcap software, that uh, targets Madcap software customers, people that are using our products that need to also publish the content that they're writing in uh, various languages. Nice. And Mike, it totally makes sense to have that human element to it. Like I'm trying to you know, flash back to my French classes <laughs> and my French homework where I had to translate, you know, this French sentence into English. If I just plug that into, you know, Google, yeah, it's going to translate it, but it's probably going to miss like a lot of the local nuance that actually having a human translate it captures. So I imagine that's, 
an essential part of you know, actually having a human do as opposed to trusting, you know, just Google Translate or something of that nature. Yeah, it would be pretty risky to completely completely rely on a machine translation. Um, but the translators of today and tomorrow are going to have to be familiar with those types of technologies and sure. being able being able to use them to complement their work and to help uh, them work uh, in a more efficient way. Uh, machine translations definitely, even since I've been in the industry for the past seven eight years, have I've heard of improvements in different engines that are coming out and different capabilities that those engines have to nice. be trained on certain content. So um, it's not as if uh, a translator should shy away from those translation technologies. I know some certainly view it as a threat, but I think um, the, the best translators and translation providers are going to be able to work with the new technology that comes out with the um, supplementing that with human talent to validate things, uh, make sure that the engines are turning out the results that the customer needs and that you're not getting nice. any of those subtle mistranslations that can cause, uh, can be very risky for, for our customers. Yeah. That's good to know that the two can complement one another. What got you into the translation game, Mike? Like, were you already interested in translation? Were you working as a tech writer before? How'd you get involved with this kind of work on MedCap? So I started with our sales team and I was working with both translation companies that were had uh, shown some dedication to our tool and that their project managers were getting trained on our products. They were attending our trainings. They were asking questions. So I kind of got a, a view as to what the translation providers were doing around flair and localization and kind of kind of see what separated a good translation provider from an average translation provider. And then I also got the view from the customer side. So selling our software to technical writers and documentation teams, um, it was, you know, I got a sense of what they were struggling with and what they needed uh, from a translation provider. So uh, shortly after I arrived, we made a decision to formally offer translation as a service. So we formed um, the company with partners that we had in place already, we already had resources out there, as I mentioned, that had, had that knew our tools, that, yeah. that knew technology. So we had all the pieces in place to create an offering that was going to satisfy the needs of our software customers. So I just saw all the pieces were there, and it was something that the customers needed, and um, so that's kind of how it came together. And it's been uh, it's been a successful ride so far. Um, we have a, very, a lot of very good people in place. Um, I I knew, didn't know too much about this industry when I first got into it, but uh, as with anything, if you surround yourself with very very smart people, you pick up things uh, pretty quickly. So that's right. Been, I know uh, the feeling in that respect. <laughs> so, Mike, say someone's listening to this podcast and you know they're looking at a lot of their help documentation. Maybe mostly their market is just in, you know, I mean, North America, primarily English speaking folk, but their products starting to expand. They're going to get into some different markets and understand that eventually they'll need to have their help documentation and perhaps other stuff that's documented translated into a variety of different languages. Mm -hmm. How does a tech writer even get started in trying to find the right 
and excuse me if this is the incorrect term, translation service, translation vendor. How did they get started in this research? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I would first kind of audit, uh, you know, what it is that you're going to need to translate, um, get the files together that you know that the translators are going to be working with. And, you know, initially I would have a project manager uh, within a, a translation services company review those files, mm. um, make sure that, that the way that they're set up is going to work in translation. Um, for example, with Madcap Flare projects, um, when we receive a project from a new customer, you know, one of the things that we're going to look at is, you know, how is the customer using conditions? Um, are the way that they're set up, are they going to work when it comes to translate it into whatever languages that they need? Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll, they'll investigate the conditions, the way that variables are used, and just kind of figure out, is, are the way things set up now, are they going to work well in translation? You know, some languages... You know, st- the sentence structure is going to change. The the, you know, the gender of certain words can change. The ending mm-hmm. of certain words can change. So, depending on how the the source language is set up, um, there could be implications in translation. So, it's trying to try to identify those early on. Um, the tech writer can also start to develop terminology lists. That's very helpful for translators. Oh, okay. So, knowing you know what terms are in the product itself are they are they are they already translated are they going to be translated are there certain terms that should remain in english are there certain terms that uh, the writer would deem to be key terminology for the industry or that particular company and gotcha. if if the translator can start off of or have that type of list uh, as they translate it uh, it helps them at the end to do consistency checks to make sure that you know all the sure. terms were translated or not translated the way that the customer wanted, and it just keeps things more consistent. And the reality is, is no translator is going to be familiar with every key term specific to that company or sure. that industry. Um, like I said before, the good translators are going to know when to stop and how to, you know, what questions to ask and where to research certain things. Um, but it's going to be very difficult to find a translator that knows that content as well as the person that created it. Um, so if that, uh, if there's, like I said, key terminology lists in place, if there's style guides that the, wow. that the teams are using to create the content yeah. All that type of content is going to be helpful to the translators. Um, and that's just, you know, I'm talking about getting things ready for translation. Yeah. Um, once it comes time to actually translate that content and the translation is done, um, you, I think the, the technical writer should also think about, you know, how is this content going to be validated internally? Is there going to be mm. someone in country that's going to review the content before it goes live? Um, just trying to get a sense of how that's going to work because you're going to want to yeah. work with your translation agency to kind of schedule that in and, and, and work with them. So it's not just falling on someone's desks out of, out of thin air and they're expected to review yeah. a whole bunch of content in a condensed period of time. Um, so that's what we do. When we get a project, we will prep it to make sure, you know, it's going to work in translation. Um, if there's validators in place, we can, we try to schedule with those validators, when the content's going to be ready, kind of come up with a time frame as to how long that should take, and it helps things uh, to to continue moving. Um, one of the biggest 
delays, I guess you could say, in translation projects tends to be around the client review to where you know the translation comes back, and if it wasn't planned for and it's just dropped on someone's desk, sometimes they might be you know handwriting notes on a printed PDF and scanning it mm. back in and getting wow. back to the translator, and it, it can be uh, pretty cumbersome. Whereas if I'm that sure. was just planned for and part of the process, uh, it, it can go much smoother. So understanding how the content's going to be validated and then knowing how you're going to handle updates with your translator because uh, typically this type of content isn't just translated once and then it's done there's usually yeah. frequent updates and um you know working with the translation provider to know you know how are they going to get those updates over how are they going to get the updates back um things like that um are important to iron out at the front end. So it's, you know, the, the expectations are pretty clear on both sides, how content's going to come across, how it's going to be translated, how it's going to be returned, how it's going to be validated and how ultimately are you going to get to a, uh, a piece that's ready to publish? Yes. It's so involved, Mike. And what I'm getting from that explanation is that once, you know, a company gets involved in the translation, like it almost completely transforms the way that you document content henceforth. Is that correct? Because like, you're always having to think about, okay, how would this actually translate to X or Y language? Yes, but it, you know, it, uh, in general, if, and I'm just talking about English here, obviously people yeah. create content in, in many other languages, but if someone is, is uh, creating a very good English content and the, the, the writing is concise and it's clear and it just follows all the rules that, um, that, that make for good English. It's, it's yeah. typically going to work. It's pretty good. It's going to, it's going to work in translation. It's when there's, gotcha. you know, a lot of jargon or, you know, very specific terms that, um, might be for a very niche type of product. Um, it's those types of, uh, uh, terms that might not translate in certain languages. So you got to kind of work with gotcha. the translator to figure out, you know, how are you going to treat those things? Are you going to come up with a, a different term in that language if none exists? Are you going to keep it in English? Um, you know, it's those kind of uh, considerations. But in general, if as, if the English is good, uh, yeah. it's going to work in the target language or the source language is good, I should say. It, it, it. will translate well. That totally makes sense, Mike, and it speaks to why you said, you know, it's so important that we set the ground and work on good documentation. You know, let's get the terminology list down. Let's get the style guide down. So henceforth, you know, at least we're using similar tone, <laughs> voice, phrasing throughout our documentation, which I imagine, as you said, saves the translator and client a lot of time. Who else do we get involved in this process? You know, you said, let's get the developer involved. You know, like you said, they're not worse writers than us. Maybe just a different style using mm -hmm. different terms. Who else do we get involved in this process to make sure that our translations are coming out correctly? Of course, the tech writer, developer makes sense. In your experience with my clients, have these teams brought anyone else within the process? Yeah, the, the reviewers and validators. Um, Got it. Those are the people that are going to see the translation ultimately and either say this is good or this is bad. Mm. Um, and, and many times when I say bad translation, it could just be a translation that was out of context and it's technically correct. Um, but the, a validator might need to review that translation and communicate back to the translator, you know, the, the real meaning of the English. Um, gotcha. So having the, having those types of people involved at some point in the process, um, it gives the customer and the documentation team um, confidence that they're, 
their uh, their edits or their feedback is being implemented by the translator. So once they start to review content, validate content, and they see that the translators are implementing that, the reviews tend tend to go much smoother after that. But they the, the customer generally needs to see that their their feedback is being listened to. Um, and yeah. the best way to do that is to just plan for it and make sure that everyone's aware of how it's going to happen. Um, gotcha. Otherwise, it can be a surprise to everyone from the reviewer to the translation firm who gets comments back when they weren't expecting it and they have to turn them around and, you know, uh, whatever the time frame is. But sure, point, if you have a release coming out in a couple hours, point I being, it's, a, be yeah, it's unexpected at that point. So yeah. trying to remove any surprises in translation and have each step planned out and thought about um, early on tends to make things stay on schedule and the end result's going to be uh, typically a, a better product because you're getting that um that communication with the customer that you otherwise wouldn't have if you don't have sure. involved sure that makes sense mike so you've done a fantastic job of telling us you know what the organization can do to make sure that their documentation or whatever they need translated is in a good working form to be translated properly is there anything that a team should look for in the potential translation service group that they want to hire? Have you noticed any specific, you know, features or criterions or just attitudes that, you know, really shine in a, a good translation service to have on? Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, most technical writers are, are fairly technical in nature already. So if you, as, as people are interviewing translators and translation providers, um, just having them walk through the steps that they're going to take with the content, what tools are your, are being used. I think uh, you can get a, a pretty good sense of what the translation company's uh, technical capabilities are just by listening to them gotcha. talk through the process. Mm-hmm. Um, one piece of advice that I would definitely would uh, tell anyone is to, regardless of how you're doing the translation, make sure that you, you retain ownership of the translation memory database that is created from the translation. Oh, okay. Why is that? Um, because that, uh, you know, say, say you translate you have a, uh, a collection of Microsoft Word documents and they've been translated for the past you know, 10 years uh, mm-hmm. by various translators. Um, and nothing is in that translation memory database. And you go, at some point you go and you, cre- you import all those Word files in Madcap Flare and now you want to translate the Flare projects. Without having the translation stored in a format that you can leverage on other file types or even the same file type for an update, it can be very difficult to reuse those translations without the translation memory file. And Mm -hmm. virtually every translation tool on the market is going to use translation memory technology. Um, But it is somewhat common for translation providers to retain ownership of that translation memory. And it can make it very difficult for a customer to change translators or, you know, bring translation in-house if they want to do a quick update in-house. Um, sure. That translation memory database is going to, it's basically everything that the, that the customer is ever going to pay for. Um, gotcha. So you want to be able to obviously reuse that as much as possible. So just making sure that you had whatever assets are um, developed as part of the translation process, whether it be the translation memory database, any key terminology lists, things like that, the customer needs to make sure that they have access to those and that they have ownership over them. Otherwise, you might be stuck 
retranslating content over and over again. Um, and we see that a lot where mm. customers come to us in a, in a kind of a bad translation situation. Um, and they, they, they don't have access to these assets and they basically, they're basically stuck either starting over or going through some type of very manual, like take alignment process to try to get those translations into a translation memory after the fact. So um, that's one of the, the, the key points I would make for anyone that's starting to buy translation and develop relationship with translators and translation companies is just make sure you have you retain the the assets that are compiled um, as part of the translation projects. And you're not just getting the final output files from the train. Sure, sure. Good conversation to have early on, I imagine. Yeah. Mike, to wrap up, I want to learn about how this all fits in to the Madcap products. So you've done a fantastic job of, you know, defining translation for us, how the tech writers can, you know, prepare their docs for a nice, smooth um, translation, how to find the right potential vendor. Mm -hmm. But as we know, you know, Madcap does a fantastic job of this, led by yourself, Mike McDermott, and some colleagues. If folk are maybe already users of Madcap or maybe looking for a whole new authoring tool uh, in general and want translation to be um, a service that complements it, where does Madcap fit in this conversation? Well, Mad Translations is gonna is uh, is a natural fit for Madcap software just because of the the industry that we're in. Um, we work with you know, thousands of uh, companies that use our software or to author content and create content, um, but there's just not a, a, a a lot of translation companies out there that specialize in this type of content coming out of these types of environments. So being able to marry the technical skills of the translator and the technical skills of our own development teams and project managers around the Flare projects, um, we feel just makes it a, um, a good choice for Flare customers that just want to go somewhere, or we, we support other file types as well, but just talking about Flare, a place to go where they can just throw their Flare project over the fence and have confidence that what they're going to get back is going to work um, and that the translations are going to be handled professionally by professional translators that understand the types of content that they're, they're developing. Because it's it, there's a lot more than just knowing the language. You have to, you have, to uh, have command of the language, obviously, but you also have to know how to find out things that you don't know because no translator or technical writer is going to immediately know everything that they need to know about the content that they're working on. Yeah, well, that's usually a question. Um, that, that's, that's a discussion that's done, we have up front with new customers that do bring translation memory and, and legacy translation. Um, it's, you know, how do we treat that translation? If it's already been validated internally and you have a high level of confidence that everything in that translation memory is of high quality, well, then we can isolate all the matches that come from that translation memory. We don't have to have a translator review them. You don't, you need to be charged for them again. Um, however, on the flip side of that, if you, if a customer comes to us and says, yeah, we have this translation memory, but 
you know, for these languages, we just have historically been getting bad feedback. Um, there's a lot of translation errors. Um, well, then you can approach the translation memory a little bit differently and actually have a translator review those matches as well and correct the mistranslations or um, whatever the problems are that exist in that translation memory. So you just kind of have to understand, like, how do you do you want to rely completely on this translation memory or if there's some questions about the quality um, it might be a good idea to have a translator review the matches and typically that comes at a much lower cost than a brand new translation uh, whereas it would you know isolating them completely and removing them from the scope you know typically doesn't incur any charges however there's not a, another set of eyes on the content either <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Jacob. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Dick, if anyone wants to connect with you, learn more about the great work you're doing, learn more about Mad Translations, where can people find all of this online? I can be reached uh, on LinkedIn. Um, Otherwise, an email, my email address is M McDermott. So first initial, last name, M-M-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T at Madcap Software. And uh, I welcome anyone to contact me with any, any questions or uh, just to talk translation. Happy, happy to help. Fantastic. And where can people learn more about Mad Translations? Do you happen to know the URL? Top of yeah, madtranslations.com will take you to Perfect. our page. Um, and there's some information there on our, our qualifications. Um, over the past few years, we have been uh, getting ISO certified. So we have auditors that nice. come in and look at our processes and make sure yeah. that everything aligns with uh, the industry standards. So some information on that, uh, the types of customers we work with or some case studies, things like that. So that can be found at madtranslations.com. Wonderful. Well, listeners, if you want to connect with Mike, have any questions for him regarding SEALs, <laughs> translation and localization, you got the email in the show notes below. Or if you want to just learn more about mad translation, whether you're like me, completely new to this type of conversation and want to see the type of language and, you know, things to look for in a translation service provider, or if you've been in the game for a bit and looking to switch it up, we have the link to mad translations in the show notes below. Mike, thank you, friend. This has been so much fun. Great chatting. And we will chat very soon. All right. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Mike. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks again to Knowledge Owl, creators of the wonderful knowledge-based software for sponsoring the Not Boring Tech Rider podcast. And thanks so much to each of you for listening to this episode. 